0: I hope you're in the, at home today maybe you're in your den or your living room or your kitchen table or wherever you normally gather I hope you have got a copy of God's word with you and and uh brothers and sisters I know this is uh is different for you this morning it's different for me <laughs> trying to look at, at you in, in a camera and I'd rather you be here and I know we all long to be uh, this season will pass and um, but God will use it for his glory and and so let us together love our gods with all of ourselves today, including our minds today, as we open up God's word, 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at verses 12 to 34 today. And, uh, and what we are doing is breaking 1 Corinthians up during this season of Easter. And uh, we're, we want to look at the text today. We have looked at the gospel last week. We're going to look at our text of the resurrection of the dead Today. And uh, then we're going to talk about an application next week. We're going to apply this text, really, in next week's sermon. And, and so, but you know, if, if, if you've been listening to us, or maybe if you haven't, that, uh, that we don't, I don't preach topically. I didn't choose nece- really the text I'm going to preach today. We work through books of the Bible, and these messages are planned sometimes months in advance as we lay out a whole book of the Bible. So, what a time... That God has brought us to to ask this question. Hope or no hope? Self-preservation? Or self-sacrifice? Living for today? Or living on a mission? Important questions in light of some of the, some of the things we've seen. And maybe even we caught ourselves getting caught up in... Um, and just a selfishness, and a, and a fear-based life. As believers in Jesus Christ, we, we believe some things. We believe that we just not have hope today. I listened to another belief system this morning who was talking to his people, offering them hope. We are saying today that we just not have hope. We have a living hope. A, a Messiah, a promised one who is alive. Therefore, our destiny is secure. He is the Savior of our soul. He is the Lord of our lives. We looked at this last week that we just don't say, I believe it and that settles it. No, it doesn't. We believe what we believe, not only because God's word is true, but because we can prove it historically and prophetically. And we talked about that last week. It's a reason that 1 Corinthians 15 and the first 11 verses, especially verse 3 and 4, is a creedal statement that goes back to 50 days after Jesus' death in the city where he was crucified and was held unchanging to today. day. And, and so we looked at that. If, I hope you go back and look. Why is that important? Because the church here in Corinth was struggling with whether what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to this once I die? It's an important question and here's Paul's whole point. As Christians, we believe this. Where Jesus has gone, there will his people go. Where Jesus has gone, there will his people go. And so if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus has not been raised. If Jesus has not been raised, we are fertilizer. We simply go to a grave. We go where our Jesus went. If he didn't resurrect from the dead, then we go where he goes. We go to a grave. That's it. But if Jesus is alive, we go where he goes, and he went to his kingdom. He sits on a throne. So this is important today for us, as it is. First Corinthians fifteen three to four. Let us remind ourselves. If you got your Bibles. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And that he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul never lose sight of the hope. That our only hope is the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. It is a non-negotiable for us as Christians. And so the point real simple today. The Christian faith and the future of Christians both rest on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'll say it this way, I'll explain this more. Our faith and the faith rest on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's what Paul is making his point with this question. And so, let's read verses 12 to 19 together. And, uh, and then we'll look at the rest of it as we go. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 19. Verse 12 starts like this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... has been raised, and if Christ has not been, not, not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let's pray together. Lord, as we've gathered together in many places today, Lord, our hearts long to be gathered together for this is what your people have done. Since you were resurrected, we gathered ourselves together on the first day of the week and we remember that you are alive. You raised your son from the dead. And today, Lord, we cannot be all in the same place, but you have bound us together because of the work of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and we thank you today not only for that truth but we thank you for your common grace of technology and we thank you for the wonderful sacrifice of of doctors and scientists and, and many people including our leadership of this country that are seeking to make good decisions today we thank you for all of that For truth and wisdom and knowledge is that which you give and the laws of nature are that which you established and we thank you for all of it today and we pray for your mercy not only for us but lord for this time give us understanding of the hope that we have because you rose your son from the dead in jesus name amen so there's a couple critical questions here that come and we look at verse 12 the Thirteen, you see the question. This lingering: is there a bodily resurrection? And some in the church are saying no. We'll talk about that in a minute. Some are saying yes. And so the question is: Well, what if there is no bodily resurrection? What's the big deal? If you have ever been eaten, I don't know why Jehovah's Witnesses. They often come right at breakfast time. Every time they've come, I've been mean, right at breakfast, and and and, and they're knock at your door. Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll make them, they won't even say Jesus died on the cross. They say he died on a stake. And they believe, they'll say, yeah, I believe in a resurrection. But if you talk to them a little bit, they do not believe in a bodily resurrection. They believe in a spiritual resurrection. And so you would say, what's the big deal? Paul's going to make the case that it's a very big deal. And uh, so what's driving this question? culture drives this question. Remember we talked about last, last week, though we live in a culture that does not assume the supernatural, they did. They lived in a culture that assumed the supernatural, but what they did not assume is that the body was of any real worth. And though they thought the spirit was of worth, it goes into the afterlife, but the body, who cares? And so this permeated into the church. It's even in the church today. It really doesn't matter about our bodies. The scripture never has agreed with that. Jesus resurrected bodily, he ascended bodily, he will return bodily. The word bodily is important as Christians. But how does he answer that question? He asks another question, a theological question. Well, what if Christ has not been raised? Because if there is no bodily resurrection, then Christ came in the flesh and he raised bodily. But if there's no bodily resurrection, then he couldn't have been raised either. So he goes to the point, you see. Verse 14 and 15, look at this. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Notice the word vain from last week. It's one of Paul's words right now. Verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify that God has been raised when he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised. So he's sitting there going, if the not raised, Christ is not raised. There's some implications. I just want you to see seven realities. Seven realities that's true of us if Christ has not been raised. So he starts with a negative and then in verse 20 he says, but. So look at verse 14. He's saying our preaching is useless. That's what the word vain means. It means it's empty. It's without effect. There's no advantage to it. He's not talking about what I'm doing right now. The act of preaching. He's talking about the content of what we're proclaiming. The content of our preaching is useless. It produces nothing. And not only that, look at what else he says in verse the end of verse 14. He said, your faith is in vain. So do you see that? There's two different aspects to faith that we need to understand as Christians. There is your faith, your trust in the promises of God, and the person and the work of Christ, and there is the unchanging the faith. We deliver to you the unchanging faith. We defend the faith. That's what he's already said in verses 3 and 4. And what he's saying is both of it, the faith, the content, and your faith is just vanity. It's useless. It's for nothing. It gets even more serious. Is verse 15, you see that when he says, We are even found to be misrepresenting God. So let me give you an example of someone who's misrepresenting God. You, maybe you can see how serious he thinks this is. If you, right now, I, think, I appreciate the fact that you're watching us and I, I love the fact that right now there are multiple churches doing the same thing we are, but you could also flip over to TBN and, and experience something different. <laughs> A different message today. A message of if you just have enough faith, God will not let you get this virus. That God died on the cross so that you could be healthy and wealthy. Here's what we would say this morning. They are misrepresenting God and they are deceiving people. And one is more serious than the other. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, bad enough. That we have lied to all these people that that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. We have deceived them, but worse off, God still exists, and we're misrepresenting Him. By saying that that Jesus Christ was His Son, and that He rose Him from the dead, when if the dead are not raised, He did not. You see, that's serious. This is the implications, the realities, if Jesus is not alive. Look at verse 17. Keeps going. the list goes on if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still in your sins verse 18 then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if in, if in Christ we have hope in this life only right you get that the issue is the resurrection of the dead and the future if, if we have Christ only in this life we are to be pitied we're pathetic so do you see that number 4 he comes back to your faith again. didn't use the word vain. He uses the word futile. Really close to each other. It means fruitless. Like a, we would say you running around like a chicken with your head cut off. There's no, you, you don't really have a point. You ever seen people don't really seem to have a point in their life. They're sort of willy-nilly. They just, they just show up and sit on your couch and eat your food. <laughs> and you have, only to have to say, time to go home. You know? Well, they seem like they don't really have a point. Saying if Christ is not... Raised from the dead. Your faith's that way. Your faith is like that guy who sits on the couch. You won't leave your home and quit eating your food. It's futile. It's useless. Worse than that. Look at number 5. Verse 17. You're still in your sins. That's what he's saying. If Jesus is not resurrected from the dead, you're still in your sins. He's not saying that God does not exist. He's not saying that you... And me don't have a problem with a holy God. We do. He's simply saying Christ is not the way. He's not the truth. He's not the life. You still have a sin problem and you know it. You cannot do what you know you should do. And that which you don't do, you should do. Those which we don't want to do, we end up doing it. We know that about ourselves and other people. He's saying Christ is not the way. His death, his life did not pay a price. His death was not a sacrifice. He brought no atonement. He gives no forgiveness. There is no freedom from your sin. You are destined to be who you are. If Christ has not been raised. You see, he's getting to the hopeless part. You feel that? There's a hopelessness if Christ has not been raised. Not only that, look at number six, those who have been those who had fallen asleep in Christ are lost. You see that? He uses the word perished. Verse 18. They've perished. That means to go out of existence. That's what I meant by fertilizer to start with. They're just dead. That's it. So we might as well embrace a stoic philosophy that just says, that's it, it's over, get on with it. Well, they're right. If Christ has not been raised. So, you see, number seven seems almost logical. If all of this is, if Christ has not been raised, all of this is true. We as believers are to be above any belief system, secular or sacred, to be pitied. A dead Savior, you see, is no Savior. (laughs) A dead Savior cannot be a Lord of anything, for He is dead. You see, that's what he's trying to connect. The resurrection of Jesus and our present and future reality are connected to Christ. They're united to him wherever he is. There we are and they will be. So you see, there's nothing, no more important question for us to ask, believer or unbeliever, is was in fact Jesus resurrected from the dead. Because if he is, all that he has said and all that he has claimed is true. Christian faith rests on this. They rest on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the future of Christians of Christians themselves. So the faith rests on it. The future of Christians, us as believers, wherever we are gathered this morning, rest on this truth. It is Jesus Christ resurrected? And here's what the claim in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That word, but in fact, in some translations, simply says that right now. That's what that means. Right now, right now, when he was writing this, when the church was reading this, when we're worshiping, right now, Jesus is alive. So all of that that was negative is positive and is true because of that fact. We have both, right now, a future glory and future living There is, and this is important to understand from a Christian perspective, both our glory and our future life is both now and not yet. There are things that are happening now that are not okay. We're going to talk about that at the end. It's not okay. There's something else coming. Christ is reigning now, not fully now. We've experienced something of glory now, but not fully now. We know that. Jesus Christ, look at what it said, look at what it said. It's the first fruits. You see that? Of those who have fallen asleep. Now I ask you, if you were here, I'd ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have thought about firstfruits? We don't use that terminology. Why? Because we're not Jewish people. This was, a, this was something they understood well. I, I I like this word. I oftentimes use it. Talk about that in a minute. First fruits. Christ is the first fruits. That is, he is representing the destiny of all of us. Our destiny is literally in him. He is the first fruits of it. He is first. If you got your Bibles with you, flip over to Romans 8. Do you see this used in another way? It's funny, a little sidebar here. I never realized how much I, I lick my finger to turn a page, you know. But now I'm sitting here going, oh no, don't do that. Don't do that. And so when we went to Honduras, that was one of the rules they told us. Don't lick your fingers. I never realized it. Every time I, you know, I was like, oh, don't do that. So that's what I'm trying to turn the page here without doing that. Romans 8.23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. As we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, look at what it says: the redemption of our bodies. Do so you see? We have a first fruits. We have the Holy Spirit now, but it points to something greater that's coming. That is the redemption of our bodies. There is a reality of your adoption in Christ that you have not fully realized, though we are adopted now. You see that now, not yet. First fruits comes first. What does that mean? We'll see. There, there were agricultural culture. Many of us have grew up. Raising gardens, and do you remember if you raised a garden, the first tomato, first one, big and red and ripe, and you take it off? Now this is where what they would do and what we would do different. What we're going to do with that is we're going to go in, we're going to open the refrigerator up, we're going to get a big, big jar of Duke's mayonnaise, and we're going to make us a tomato sandwich. If you don't have Duke's, you need to repent, and, uh, and uh, you, you can laugh at that even in your couch. It's okay, and. Uh, that's not what they did. They practiced first fruits. Okay, So this is what they did. They took the first and the best of, of, their, of their harvest that was coming in. The very first. They would take it along with a burnt offering and they would offer it as a grateful Thanksgiving offering to God. Why did they do that? Because the harvest was coming. So they took what was first and was best. This, brothers and sisters, as well, we don't talk about much. I don't use the word tithing much around here. We practice first fruits. God has given us everything. We take the first and the best and we give it to Him as a thanksgiving offering. And if we don't, it is an expression of our lack of trust of God to provide for our needs according to His riches and glory. This is tradition that came down from our Jewish friends who... Who did this as part of offering. There was firstfruits that meant something more is coming. The entire harvest will follow. Christ is our firstfruits. And we, the church, are his harvest. And we will go where he is when. This is his argument. This is not only firstfruits. You also see some what we would call typology in there. may or may not have heard of that word. But I think you will see it when you look at verses 21 and 22. For as by Adam came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Okay, so in your mind, if you can, I don't know how your Bible puts these verses up. Verse 22, verses 21 should be right here. This is like poetry. Verses 22 should be right underneath it. They are, they are contrasting and paralleling each other. Okay, so let me read this again. For as by a man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Do you see that? For as by a man came death. It's just like verse 22. For as in Adam we all die. Second part. By a man came also the resurrection of the dead. Second part of verse 22. So also in Christ shall be all be made alive. Adam... As our first Adam points to a greater Adam, Christ is the greater Adam. As in Adam, the first Adam, we all died, as in he lived and sinned and died, and we now born live and sin and die. Christ was the better Adam. We are united in Adam because he did that. He represented us. He was our first fruit of humanity. Now, you said it makes sense that's what he's saying. In Christ is our first fruits, producing, living a life without sin, dying in our place, and resurrecting. And we are his harvest that will follow him. This is his argument. He is not only our first fruits, he's also our greater Adam that we will follow. Romans 5. Look at Romans 5. All of this section is wonderful. You noticed last week we quoted Romans a lot. Paul's making the same argument in Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 12. He said, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Do you see that? He's making the same argument. One man brought sin. You want to be mad at somebody because of all this stuff? Adam sinned. Brought sin, brought death, brought disease. And now... How many times did we sin in the last twenty-four hours? Look at verse seventeen. For if because of one man's transgression, because of one man's trans- trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundant grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. You see that? Christ is the first fruits. He is the greater Adam. Who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. That is, please God. Adam was humanity's first fruits and Christ is ours. And it only makes any difference at all if Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. You see, this is all this really good talk, really good arguments and really good things. But if Jesus Christ is in a grave in, in Jerusalem, what does it matter? But in fact, he's alive. So verse 23, look at it. He gets to an order of this firstfruits. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So firstfruits had an order. It's almost just sort of common sense. The first of the produce, the, the crops begin to bear. And then the crops come in fully. Remember that saying, we've got to make hay while the sun's shining. You know, when the hay, you know, my brother Mike does that. When, when the hay's, you've got to get it in. So there's an order. Christ is the first fruits. He's the one that resurrected. Now look at the text. Then he comes, then at his coming, those who belong to him. Christ is resurrected. Christ returns. We are resurrected. That's the order. First Christ, then he comes, and those who belong to him. Is resurrected. Verse 24 says, Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. So we see this. Christ is resurrected. Christ returns. We're between those two times right now. Christ returns. The dead in Christ are resurrected. And then the kingdom that is, Christ's rule and reign at that point will be absolute. There will be no rebels. That's what he's saying here. And then what comes next? Final judgment and new creation. But this is the order. This is the glory that's coming. This is only true if Jesus Christ is alive. But if he is alive, it's true. And it's coming. Listen to 1 Thessalonians. I couldn't not read this today. It's probably not, it's not in your notes because I added it in. I just wanted, I couldn't not read it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 15 says this, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Just a pause button. Remember, falling asleep in the Bible means they're dead. Verse 16, For the Lord himself who descends from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet him in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Verse 18. It's important today. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Don't argue about these words. In days like this, we need to encourage that one day Christ... Is coming and all these Gloriful truths are true Because he's alive Verse 25 and 26 Is a wonderful promise Is coming Verse 25 says For he must reign until he puts all his enemies Under his feet The last enemy to be destroyed Is death You know that death's an enemy Death's an enemy that's promised That one day it will be destroyed It's not destroyed yet is it But it will be. This is the promise. This comes in a particular order. If you read the prophets. Before we started a worship service. We were reading a text. I'll get to it in a minute. It quotes what I'm about to quote. Which is something that David quoted. That in turn. Peter quoted. Psalms. 110 in verse 1 says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What was promised by the prophet Isaiah and that was spoke of through the line of David has been fulfilled in the person of Christ. When he comes again, he will make all his enemies his footstool, including death. So that's good news this morning. This is not only our future glory. This really affects our future living. And this section really, though it's not down in the so what, is really, in Paul's mind, an application. He, he returns, Paul likes to use um, the rhetoric of argue, he makes an argument through this whole thing, and he oftentimes comes back to things. He comes back to it here. Look at verse 29. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized, being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? I'm sitting there going, "No, I'm about to explain to you exactly what this means." No, I'm not, (laughs) because he don't explain himself. You know, these these really smart people who have these big degrees—they they they write pages and pages and pages—but at the end of all those pages, they have to say, "Well, we're really not sure." Paul didn't explain himself what he means right here. It drives me crazy. Why didn't he tell us? Because the people in their culture understood what he's talking about, and we don't. And uh, here we've got a couple of hints. These are He doesn't say that the, there are people in the church. He says, what do people mean? So there were people somewhere who did what we would call proxy baptism. And just so you know, the, our church fathers soundly... Rejected this, But this was something that was going on even in their day. Don't miss the point. Sometimes we can want to know what something means so much that we missed his point. His point is just his return to an argument that even people outside the Judeo-Christian faith understand these things and what they do. Augustine said, all truth is God's truth wherever it is found. And that's, truth can even be found and seen in people that we don't agree with. And uh, so that's his point. Uh, But he gets to an even clearer point in verse 30, and I think we understand this, not only in his life but ours. Why are we in danger every hour, verse 30? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if humanly speaking I fought with beasts in Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. You see his point. He's sitting there going, let me take my shirt off for a minute. Yeah, Paul could have done that. Let me take my shirt off for a minute. Let me let you look at my scars. Why am I putting up with this if it's not true? It would be far easier to just go along with the people who are going to one extreme. They got 600 rolls of toilet paper in their pantry right now. Or they're at their beach living it up because if they die, they want to have a good time. Either one of those two things makes sense. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, you probably ought to be doing one of them. But if he's alive, he changes everything. He's sitting there going, I'm suffering right now. Brothers and sisters, we need to realize this. Right then, when that was being said, and especially right after that, Nero was using Christians to light up his garden. And Paul's saying, I wouldn't do it if it wasn't true. But it is true. You see, your future glory in Christ because He's alive affects your present living. Unavoidably what you believe affects how you live. But especially, Paul is saying, if Christ is not alive, then those who live it up for today because we are just worm food tomorrow have a point. But if He's alive, it changes everything about how we live. As Christians, We do not stockpile food that we do not need. We do not merely look after ourselves and affect our own survival and let those fend for themselves, for that is what the pagans do. Our Christ Jesus is alive and we have a living hope and we live differently because of it, yes, especially in the midst of tragedy and trauma. It's a good message for today and the Lord wanted us to listen to it. And so, so what? What? How should we live in light of this? I ask this question as you're stuck at home. <laughs> you know, as we're doing things because we love our neighbor as ourselves and we are obeying our governing authorities that want to keep us from getting sick. We're, but still, it doesn't take the heart away, does it? How should we live in light of this? Look at verses 33 and 34. I had this up at the front, and I looked at it this morning, and I was like, wow, what a truth. Listen to what he says. Verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Verse 34, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. He's saying, listen, what he's saying is, but you do. Brothers and sisters, we need to stop being influenced by people who are living for this life only. They are living in a way because they know no different. And they are living consistent with a worldview that believes that there is no Savior and no Lord that is over their life. But we do, we know, we have the knowledge of God and we must live like it in this present evil age. It's a good point here that Paul makes here at the end. But turn with me. I want us to set us up for next week. So if you want to know what you need to study and think on this, this coming week and what the sermon is going to be on, it's going to be 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. This is where we're going to start next week. We're going to end here today. 1 Peter 1, verses 3. It'll be in the verse 3. We'll read down to verse 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though... You do not now see him. You believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, we are either live today fighting with a living hope, or we live as if we have no future glory and we have no future hope and we have no future life. So how do we do this? How do we fight for hope? How do we live the resurrected life? We're going to talk about that next week. Next week I want to talk about this in a specific way. I want to talk about this in the context of depression. And I want to be honest with you next week. And I will be. I will be transparent as I hope you will be ready to be honest with yourself. Because this is something that is every person's battle. And we must say, what difference does Jesus being resurrected from the dead make? What about now? I want us to end the service this way. I want you to think about with me, just through scripture, what our future life will be. Because, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. I want you to turn to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. This is in the context of both judgment and salvation that that the children of Israel will experience. It also points to the future as we will see. Christ extended grace and mercy not only for them. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. And he calls to them and warns them and judges them and promises something. I want us to think about what he's promised them as what he's promised us. You see, right now, we've all lost things. As I thought about this, we talked about this this week in our home. We lost a child years ago. She died in Christina's womb. And and, uh, I never understood when people say death is a natural part of life because it didn't feel that natural to us. And uh, right now, right now, I want you to think about this in light of the text I'm about to read. Right now in there are countries that a single mother is driven off of her property because someone else can do that and someone else moves into her house and sleeps in her bed and eats her food right now it's happening right now we are burying our parents I and mean, it didn't feel very natural did it right now there's A virus that is taking people out. Many of us, though we live as completely like we're unaware of it. Right now there are children dying all over the world from preventable diseases. While we enjoy the American dream. Something's not right, is it? Well, here's the promise, brothers and sisters. There is coming a day. Isaiah 65 and verse 17 says this. For behold, I create... will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, and an old man who does not fill out his days, and a young man shall die at a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my Chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat like like the ox, the dust, good news, the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain, says the Lord. Brothers and sisters, 800 years later, John writes this Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The one who will conquer us will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Brothers and sisters, these things are assured to us today because Jesus is alive. Let's pray together. Lord, what a blessed hope we have in your son because you have resurrected. Lord, in reality, what we have seen today is that is what chiefly, supremely matters for none of it matters without that. And we praise the Lord for that. Lord, we needed the gospel to orient ourselves after the week that we've all had. And Lord, we need the gospel to orient ourselves for the weeks that is to come. And Lord, you are faithful. And your promises are trustworthy and they are true. And so Lord, I pray for all of us that we will not live next week like we have hope only in this life. Because we have a living hope now and forever. And so, Lord, we now as your people, wherever we are gathered, long to praise your name now. Lord, we long to respond to you because of the word that we have heard. So let your people, wherever they are gathered, respond not only now as we sing, but how we live as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.